Welcome to Babylon, and we've been talking about how we can not only survive in a godless culture, but how we can thrive in a godless culture. Uh, in the Bible, Babylon is the personification of evil. It's a godless society. It's a society that has drifted away from him. And so we're talking about how should we respond as Christians, as followers of Jesus, in a culture that is going in an opposite direction. And that's what we've been talking about. And I'm looking forward to diving into God's word today. If you're ready, would you say amen this morning? You can go ahead and find a seat today. And we're going to be in Daniel chapter 5. I want to encourage you to grab a Bible. Daniel chapter 5 is where we're going to be. If you don't have a Bible, there should be a Bible in the seat back in front of you. And if you don't own a Bible, that is our gift to you. Daniel chapter number five. Last week we left off in Daniel chapter four. We're going to pick up this narrative where God's people had been taken into captivity in this godless society of Babylon. And Daniel is an example of someone that is standing for truth in a godless generation. And we're learning about these principles that we can apply to our lives. We're going to start reading in verse number one of Daniel chapter five. The Bible says this, Belshazzar, the king, made a great feast to a thousand of his lords and drank wine before the thousand. Belshazzar, while he tasted the wine, commanded to bring the golden and silver vessels, which his father, Nebuchadnezzar, had taken out of the temple, which was in Jerusalem that the king and his princes and his wives and his concubines might drink therein. Then they brought the golden vessels that were taken out of the temple of the house of God, which was at Jerusalem. And the king and the princes and his wives and concubines drank in them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and of silver, of brass, of iron, of wood, and of stone. Verse 5. In the same hour came forth fingers of a man's hand and wrote over against the candlestick upon the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw the part of the hand that wrote. How many of you are familiar with the, the saying, the handwriting is on the wall? How many of you have heard that before? This is where that saying comes from. Verse number six. Then the king's countenance was changed and his thoughts troubled him. His thoughts were bothering him and his that the joints of his loins were loosed and his knees smote one against another. Today, I want to speak to this subject. Snooze, you lose. In fact, turn to your neighbor today and say, snooze, you lose. Let's have a word of prayer together. God, thank you so much for this day that you've given us. God, thank you for the work that you're doing in our church. God, thank you for the salvations that we've seen on a weekly basis. God, thank you for just the spiritual momentum even in this room. Lord, we recognize that it's not about us or a feeling or what we want, but God, we recognize it is about your glory. It is about your word. And so God, today, during this time, I pray that we would get out of the way and that we would let you in. Lord, I pray that you would speak to us powerfully through your word. And God, I pray that today we would be doers of the word and not hearers only. We love you. In Jesus' name, and everybody said today, 
How many of you are the type of person that would set multiple alarms at night? You set multiple alarms. Anybody like that? How many of you set just one alarm, one and done, that's it? And okay, how many of you don't even set an alarm? You just wake up whenever you wake up. Okay, uh, very good. You know, certain alarms can be kind of aggravating. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Certain sounds. And uh, there are certain sounds that I don't want to hear uh, when I'm waking up. In fact, I think one of the most irritating alarms is this one right here. How many of you instantly that just puts you in a bad mood? You're like, okay, please turn that off. And uh, I like something maybe a little bit more peaceful. Just wake up in a good mood, just ready to go. And I think perhaps though the most annoying, agitating alarm there is, and if you, if you use this, if you use this sound, I'm just not sure what's wrong with you, but uh, this next one, uh, this next one is perhaps the most agitating. Just listening to a dog bark as you wake up is just not uh, the way that I want to wake up. It's uh, Some of you, I think some of those alarms just triggered you already, put you in a bad mood this morning, and I apologize for that. Uh, I remember growing up, I had a hard time uh, waking up when I was in high school, and I wanted just to go back to sleep, and my mom would always be agitated with my brother and I, and she was always trying to figure out ways to wake us up and to keep us awake. And uh, she had this little spray bottle that she used uh, on her cat. And uh, the cat would always kind of want to claw the couch. And so she would spray that cat. And so my mom would walk in and say, wake up. And she would come over and just spray us right in the face with that spray bottle. And uh, that was always a harsh way to wake up. And uh, my brother, though, who's a little bit older than me, he taught me a trick. And he said, hey, if you want to get a few more minutes of sleep, how many of you sometimes it's like, I just wish I could have a few more minutes of sleep. You know, sometimes you can be desperate. And uh, desperate times call for desperate, you know, actions, measures. And uh, so my brother told me, he said, if you want to get a few more minutes of sleep, what you need to do is you need to go into the bathroom, turn the shower on, then take your blanket and your pillow and lay down on the bathroom floor. Mom will think you're taking a shower and you'll get five more minutes of sleep. It's all you'll need. It's, it's going to be great. And uh, what a great idea. And so I had some uh, great uh, mornings with a few more minutes of sleep until my mom found out, of course, and I got in trouble and I was late to school and it was not a good situation. You know, I think the reality is uh, for us today, all of us uh, learn and know how to press that snooze button physically. We're pretty good at it. But here's what I want to talk about this morning. So often that is exactly what we do spiritually. When God is trying to get our attention, through a message, through a Bible study, through a friend, through the conviction of the Holy Spirit, often God is trying to wake us up and to get our attention. And what we do is we hit the snooze button spiritually. What we do is we say, okay, I'm going to put this off till later, or okay, that's interesting, but I don't need to deal with it right now. And often we are pressing snooze when God wants us to be alert. Uh, often when we experience suffering, rather than learn from that season of suffering, we despise it. We reject it. Often when we go through a trial, rather than trying to glean what it is God would have us glean in that trial, we want nothing to do with it. And often we are pressing snooze when God wants us to be awake. Romans chapter 13, verse number 11 says this, and that, knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. It's time to wake up, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believe. See, the question today is not, are we hearing? The question is, are we heeding? Are we responding? Because make no mistake about it, God is speaking today through his word. And God is often trying to get our attention. And the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit is trying to guide us and to convict us into all truth. But are we listening? Are we responding? And I want to encourage us today, you cannot thrive in Babylon without staying alert. 
Because the Bible says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. The devil wants nothing more than to devour your marriage. He wants nothing more than to destroy your children. He wants nothing more than you to drift from the truth. And it's time some followers of Jesus would stay alert and recognize the enemy is attacking, but I'm going to be vigilant. I'm not going to press that spiritual snooze button. This was something that was important to Jesus. Jesus wrote a letter to the church at Sardis in Revelation, and he said this in Revelation 3, verse number 2. Be watchful. Everybody say, be watchful. He says, wake up. Uh, Stay ready. Be watchful. And strengthen the things which remain, that thou art ready to die. For I have not found thy works perfect before God. If you want to thrive in Babylon, you cannot allow the enemy to lure you into inactivity. To allow you to be in a season where you are just going through the motions and you're just kind of uh, going along to get along when God is trying to get your attention. Now, uh, to really see a vivid example of this, we're going to go to Daniel chapter number five today, and we're going to study this chapter that is before us. And uh, uh, there is a king in Daniel chapter number five named Belshazzar who has a dramatic wake-up call, and that's a devastating, dramatic wake-up call in his life. Now, uh, we learn about this king uh, in in uh, Daniel chapter number five, but I think it's important for us to kind of get our, our bearings a little bit, understand the context. If you were here last week, we studied Daniel chapter number four. About 23 years have passed since Daniel chapter number four, and so Daniel He's now up in years. He's in his 80s, and he's grown in experience and wisdom. And uh, Daniel is up in years, and a new king is introduced onto the scene. It's actually Nebuchadnezzar's grandson. His name is Belshazzar. For years, uh, secular historians kind of scoffed at the idea of Belshazzar. And uh, because uh, the Bible was the only place where he was mentioned. And so people kind of discounted that. Well, I don't know if Belshazzar was actually a king in history because, you know, we only see him in the Bible. And so many people doubted the validity of Belshazzar until in the 1800s and in the 1850s, there were some archaeologists that were doing a dig. They were doing an excavation in modern-day Iraq, and they discovered something. They made a profound discovery, uh, the Nabonidus cylinders. I believe we have a picture this morning of these cylinders, and uh, these cylinders were dated back to the Babylonian Empire. And so upon these cylinders were inscriptions uh, describing and talking about uh, this era. And upon this particular cylinder, uh, this is what it reads. As for me... Nabonidus, king of Babylon, save me from sinning against your great Godhead and grant me as a present a life long days. And as for Belshazzar, the eldest son, my offspring, uh, instill reverence for your great Godhead in his heart. And may he not commit any cultic mistake. May he be sated with a life of plenitude. And so what we see is upon the discovery of these cylinders, all of a sudden it adds validity to what we as followers of Jesus already know that the word of God can be trusted. The word of God has been tested and you can believe it every single time. I'm thankful today that we have a more sure word of prophecy. In a generation of misinformation and disinformation and truth and facts and alternative facts and snopes, and we're constantly trying to figure out what is true, what is real, what is right, I'm thankful today that we can trust the words of God. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine for correction, for reproof and instruction in righteousness. And so uh, we see even with the life of Belshazzar that, uh, that it is adding validity and veracity to the historical account of Daniel chapter number five. Now, what we need to know about uh, Belshazzar as we get started is he was a young man. 
he was, if he was leading today, he would be a Generation Z leader, okay? He was a young man. He was in his early 20s, and uh, he was arrogant, okay? He was cocky. He was comfortable, as we'll see. He thought that he had it all figured out, and uh, what we see in his life is God trying to get this young king's attention over and over and over again, but what he does is he presses the snooze button. He ignores it ignores it. And so today what I want to do as we look to this chapter is I want to give us uh, four things that we need in order to stay alert in Babylon. Would that be all right this morning? Four things we need if we're going to stay alert and active in Babylon. Number one, if you're taking notes, you need wisdom when things get wild. You need wisdom when things get wild. Notice it in verse number one. I want to encourage you to keep your Bible open and ready today as we look to these verses. Verse number one, it says this, Belshazzar the king made a great feast. Everybody say a great feast. This was a big time party. To a thousand of his lords and drank wine before the thousand. So right off the bat, we see that Belshazzar, this young king, he's living it up. He's partying a big, grand, great feast. Invites a lot of people in. Now, what's interesting about this is actually the context of what was taking place historically on the night of this party, on the night of this celebration. Uh, the, the historian Herodotus tells us that on this night, the Medes and the Persians had surrounded the walls of Babylon and they were attacking the city. But, but here's what you need to know. Belshazzar was so confident, he was so cocky that nothing would happen. Rather than rally the troops and defend the city, he says, let's throw a party, let's pour another glass, let's make another toast, let's just go ahead and celebrate. No one is going to defeat uh, the invincible Babylon. We have the biggest walls, we have uh, the greatest systems and structures in place. Uh, we are impenetrable. And so what we see is this arrogance from Belshazzar to throw a party on the night that Babylon was being attacked. Uh, by the way, I think there's a sobering reminder here for all of us today. Make no mistake about it. The devil has his sights, his targets on your back today. He's got his aim on you. And life is not something that we can just kind of go through and treat casually. No, uh, life is not a game to be played. It's a war to be waged. And we can't just step back and just think, well, it's no big deal. You know, everything's going to be fine and, and I'm not going to really fall. And that was exactly the mindset of Belshazzar. Hey, let's just ramp up the intensity of this party while the city was under attack. So Belshazzar decides to throw this party. Now, this wasn't just your average little get together where they're going to play Monopoly together. Okay. This was a grand uh, party, uh, perhaps the most elaborate, expensive, elusive, expansive party in all of history uh, that Belshazzar throws. And I was reading this week about some modern day parties that are pretty extravagant. And uh, several years ago, uh, there was the Sultan of Brunei who threw a party. And uh, it's considered, I think we have a picture this morning, it's considered one of the most elaborate parties of all time. Uh, he spent $27 million on one party. A part of this party was uh, they invited Michael Jackson to come in and perform. Just to get Michael Jackson to come in and perform, it cost $17 million to bring him in. And so this was an elaborate party. And uh, everybody that attended this party left with, with a, a golden medal around their neck. How many of you would say that's a pretty cool party favor? <laughs> okay, like leaving with a golden medal. So this was a pretty elaborate party. But that is nothing compared to what's taking place in Daniel chapter 5. Historians and commentators tell us that just to feed the people that were at this party, they had to slaughter a thousand animals a day. 
This was a large, expansive, they were importing the most expensive foods, the most expensive wines. Uh, the banquet halls in Babylon were extremely large. Uh, some of the banquet halls in Babylon uh, had pillars that were carved out in the shape of an elephant. It was kind of like a rainforest cafe on steroids there in Babylon. And uh, uh, these parties were massive. They, they were expansive. And so this is what we see Belshazzar is doing. He's throwing this huge, elaborate party. There are three particulars about this party that we have to know. Is everybody tracking with me so far this morning? The first thing that we have to know about this party is that it was immoral. It was an immoral party. I want you to see it in verse number two. Notice what it says. It says, Belshazzar, while he tasted the wine, commanded to bring the golden and silver vessels, which his father, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, had taken out of the temple, which, uh, by the way, in the ancient Hebrew, they did not have a word for grandfather and grandson, and so often they would just use the word father. And so it was actually Nebuchadnezzar, uh, Nabonidus, and then Belshazzar. Uh, but he's referencing here his grandfather, Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, it says, which his uh, father, Nebuchadnezzar, had taken out of the temple, which was in Jerusalem, that the king and his princes his wives and his concubines might drink therein. So here's what I want you to see. They invited the wives and the concubines in. Now, to us, that might not be uh, something that would, we would take note of, but in ancient culture in this time, uh, they did not include uh, the wives and the concubines in banquets like this. And so to include the wives and the concubines uh, was a gesture that is signifying immorality. And I'm going to spare us the details today, but as you study parties like this, what was taking place is extremely immoral, even abusive towards the women. That's what was taking place. And so this this was a very immoral party. But not only was it an immoral party, it was also very irreverent. Notice it in verse number three. It was immoral, but it was also irreverent. Verse three says this. Uh, then they brought the golden vessels that were taken out of the temple, out of the house of God, which was at Jerusalem. And the king and his princes and wives and concubines drank in them. So here is Belshazzar, clearly intoxicated, and he said, you know what will take this party to the next level? Let's ramp things up a little bit. Let's just turn the heat up just a little bit. Let's go and get the vessels that we stole from the temple, from God's holy temple, and let's celebrate and drink out of those vessels. This is, by definition, sacrilegious. To, to, to take something that is holy and use it for something that is profane. And so here's what we see. This party was immoral. It was irreverent. They were, they were being sacrilegious in their attitude and in, in actions towards God. But then also, for, or thirdly, it was idolatrous. Notice it in verse 4. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and of silver and of brass, of iron, of wood, and of stone. They are worshiping false idols. And so this party is wild. By the way, as we survey our society, as we survey Babylon in our culture, don't be surprised when things get wild. Don't be surprised when things get immoral. They already are. Uh, don't get surprised when there is irreverence, when there is idolatry. Uh, in Babylon, things are going to get out of control in a godless society. The question is, how will we respond when things get wild? So what did Daniel do? How did Daniel survive this kind of temptation? I mean, the temptation was great. Uh, make no mistake about it. This, this party would have been enticing. Man, like everybody who's somebody is there. And uh, man, you have the best foods in the world. And how did Daniel guard his heart against this kind of temptation? How did he kind of just guard his eyes in this party? And, and how did Daniel survive this kind of temptation? Well, the answer is quite simple. Do you want to know what it is? He didn't go. 
He didn't go to the party. Daniel got the invitation and said, no thanks. I'm going to stay home and play solitaire. I'm going to have a night uh, all to myself. Uh, Daniel didn't go because later on we learned that when the writing on the wall came and they needed someone to interpret it, they said, somebody go find Daniel. Daniel wasn't there. There are certain temptations in life that you should not try to fight. You run from those. It's not about how hard you can punch. It's about how fast you can run. Daniel wasn't like, I can handle this. I can go to any party that I want. I'll just kind of stay in my lane and hey, hey, I can just be here. No problem. No, Daniel said, I'm going to get as far away from that party as I possibly can. Why? Because when things get wild, you need wisdom. And what Daniel is doing here is he's demonstrating discernment and wisdom, not seeing how close to the fire he can get. But he said, you know, I'm not even going to show up to this party. And so Daniel was exercising and operating with wisdom. And there's good news for us today. Anybody interested in some good news this morning? Because if we want wisdom when things get wild, the Bible promises us that we can have wisdom. I'm thankful for that. Daniel, if you can come up here for a second. Let's give it up for Daniel as he makes his way up here. This morning I have the cup of wisdom. Just take it in for a second. The cup of wisdom. Now, the Bible says in James 1.5, if any of you lack wisdom, how many of you have ever lacked wisdom? Some of you that did not raise your hand, that was not a wise thing to do. Okay, I'm just going to say. If any of you lack wisdom, we all at times lack wisdom. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all men, I love the word, liberally, and abradeth not. In other words, God is not going to hoard the wisdom that he has and just hold on to it and not want to give it to us. Uh, God will give us wisdom liberally, but we have to ask for it. And so wisdom is something that we must ask for on a daily basis. And so I have the cup of wisdom today. And if Daniel asked me for some wisdom, wisdom? absolutely. One wisdom token. There you go. And now he has some wisdom. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you can have some wisdom. There you go. There's another. Would you like some more wisdom? See, there you go. As much as you can have. And here's, he can have as much wisdom as he possibly wants. See, if you want wisdom from God, it's not about his ability to pour it out. It's about our ability to cry out and to ask him for wisdom. We can't complain about our culture if we are not praying and crying out to God saying, God, give me wisdom and discernment so I can navigate this culture that I'm in. Daniel had wisdom when things got wild. And I want to encourage you today, what we need more than anything in Babylon is wisdom, not that is sensual and devilish from below, uh, not worldly wisdom. We need wisdom that comes from above. Chip Ingram says this, we must recognize how the evil one is working in this world and to take a firm stance against him. It means we take careful thought concerning that we put in our minds, what we listen to, what we watch, and how we use our time. These things might be minuscule, seemingly, uh, but these are the areas in which we need God to give us wisdom. This leads us to our second thought today. Number two is this. You need your conscience to change your conduct. You need your conscience to change your conduct. Now, uh, the city uh, is under attack, and uh, uh, the Medes and the Persians were surrounding Babylon. Belshazzar is living it up. They're partying. Uh, in his mind, things are going great. And then in verse number five, things get a little bit creepy. Okay, is everybody ready for it? Only one person is ready. Anybody else ready for it this morning? Okay, great. Okay, verse number five. In the same hour, came forth fingers. There they are. Of a man's hand. 
and wrote over against the candlestick upon the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw the part of the hand that wrote. And so all of a sudden, God interrupts this party. <laughs> uh, they're partying, they're living it up, and all of a sudden, there's a hand. Fingers. Starts writing on the wall. And I don't know if you're like me, you've wondered, I wonder what that would look like. Maybe it looks something like this. I don't know if God's a Dodgers fan or not. The finger shows up, starts writing on the wall. Everyone gets really nervous about this. Everyone gets really scared. Notice what happens next, verse number six. Then the king's countenance was changed. All of a sudden, he's not smiling anymore. All of a sudden, he's not partying as hard right now. Watch this. The king's countenance changed, and his thoughts troubled him. So that the joints of his loins were loose, and the knees smote against one another. And so, in other words, uh, Belshazzar was terrified. His knees start shaking. He was shaking in his boots. He was terrified. But more than that, I want to draw your attention to that phrase in the middle of that verse. Verse 6. And his thoughts troubled him. In other words, Belshazzar's conscience was alive and well. His conscience was active. His conscience bothered him, but not enough to change his behavior. See, so often God will try to get our attention by activating our conscience. We'll feel convicted to invite someone to church or maybe to stop doing something that we're doing or to stop going somewhere that we're going, and God will activate our conscience. But the question is, does your conscience align with your conduct? Does your conscience change your conduct? Because Belshazzar's conscience was activated, but not enough to change his behavior. John Trapp said this, the writing on the wall, he could neither read nor understand, but his conscience had written bitter things against him, which now being held to the fire of God's wrath become legible. And so now his conscience is active and he's worried. And I just want you to know today uh, that your conscience is a gift from God intended to keep you in the right lane. Conscience is a gift. It's a good thing from God intended to keep us in the right lane. First uh, Peter talks about this in First Peter chapter 3, verse 15. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready. Everybody say ready. ready. You've got to be ready always to give an answer. Always to give an answer uh, of every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. And so as followers of Jesus, we're to be ready to give an answer if someone says, why do you believe what you believe? And do you really believe that, that Jesus is God? And do you really believe that you should do this? And, and what about the afterlife? Do you really believe in a heaven and a hell? And, and we are called to be ready to give an answer for those things. Yeah. But then it goes on. Having a good conscience. A good conscience. That whereas they speak evil of you as evildoers, they may be ashamed that they falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. Do you see the correlation between the good conscience and then the good conversation, or in other words, the good lifestyle, the good conduct? Your conscience should affect your conduct. When God is speaking to you in a small group, when you're reading the word of God, in a, in a sermon, through a friend, through counsel, when God is speaking to you and making active your conscience, I want to encourage you, respond, repent, Turn, go the other way. Don't just listen and hear and not heed because that's exactly what Belshazzar is doing. He felt bad about this. His conscience troubled him, but he didn't change his behavior. His conscience was active, but he was not making any changes. Acts chapter 24, verse 16 says this, and herein do I, Paul, the apostle was saying, exercise myself. In other words, I have to work at this. This is not something that just comes naturally. Exercise myself to have always a conscience void to offense toward God 
and toward men. I wonder today, how's your conscience? But before God, before men, are you keeping a soft conscience? Are you allowing your conscience to change your conduct? Notice verse number seven. Everybody still with me? The king cried aloud to bring in the astrologers, the Chaldeans, and the soothsayers. Now, they never learned their lesson. Anytime they had a question, they always brought these guys in. They never had the answers, and, uh, but they still did it anyways. And the king spake and said to the wise men of Babylon, Whosoever shall read this writing and show me the interpretation thereof, shall be clothed with scarlet and have a gold, uh, chain of gold about his neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. And so uh, they say, man, we need someone to tell us what this says and to tell us what this means. And I think there's a principle here. The Bible talks about in 1 Corinthians how the natural man receiveth not the things of God. In other words, if someone has an unregenerate heart, if someone is not saved, they've never been born again, it's going to be hard for them to open up the scriptures and really understand and discern what the scripture is saying. I'm thankful today that if you are saved and you have been born again, that the Holy Spirit has taken up residence in your life and you have the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. And one of the purposes of the Holy Spirit is to illuminate the text. One of the purposes of the Holy Spirit is to guide us into all truth. Is anybody thankful today that when we approach the word of God, we have the Holy Spirit that can help us understand what it is that we're reading? And sometimes if I don't know someone, they say, I don't understand the Bible. My first question, maybe sometimes I verbalize or don't, is, are you saved? Do you know the Lord? Uh, because the natural man received not the things of God. And so they see this handwriting on the wall, and they have no idea what it says. And so they're wondering, you know, we need to get all the astrologers and the soothsayers, and they come in. They can't do it. And so what happens next is the mother queen enters. You can read it in verse number 10. And she comes in, and she says, uh, you know what? There's a man that I remember uh, who worked with Nebuchadnezzar. His name uh, was Daniel. Now, most commentators believe that this mother queen was either the wife of Nebuchadnezzar or the daughter of Nebuchadnezzar. And she comes in, and she says, I know someone that can help. I know someone that's pretty good with this kind of thing. His name is Daniel. So they called Daniel in in verse number 12, and they explained to him the situation. Belshazzar says, hey, we were partying, and, and uh, the, the handwriting came upon the wall, and, and uh, there it is. But we don't know what it says. We don't know what it means. Can you help us? If you can help us, we're going to give you all kinds of money, and we're going to make you very powerful and prominent. And here's Daniel's answer in verse 17. I want you to see it. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, let thy gifts be to thyself. I love Daniel in his old age. He's kind of gangster. He's like, I don't, I don't need your gifts. I don't, I don't want anything that you have to offer. He's like totally unimpressed with Belshazzar. Like whatever you have to, I don't, I don't care. He says, I don't need your gifts. Uh, let, him, let him keep it to thyself and give the reward to someone else. Yet I will read the writing unto the king and I will make known to him the interpretation. And so he says, I'll tell you what this means. You might not like it, but I'll tell you what it means. And this leads us to our third thought, number three today. In Babylon, you need history to shape your destiny. You need to allow history to shape your destiny. Because what happens next is Daniel gives Belshazzar a history lesson. He says, let me take you to school for a second. He says, there's some things that you forgot. There, there's some things that happen in, in your past history that you are ignoring. And I'm going to bring this up again. Uh, by the way, ignored revelation always leads to captivity. In life, if we're going to ignore the revelation from God, it's always going to lead to captivity. And here about Shazar, he ignored his past. He ignored uh, that past revelation. And so Daniel's going to remind him. Let's look at it in verse 18. Everybody with me? Verse 18. He says, O king, O thou king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar, thy father, grandfather, a kingdom and majesty and glory and honor. 
And for the majesty that he gave him, all people, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him, whom he would slew, uh, he, he slew, and whom he would have kept alive, and whom he would set up, and whom he would be put down. And so uh, Nebuchadnezzar had so much power that he could kill who he wanted to kill. He could keep alive who he wanted to keep alive. Uh, he was the most powerful man in the world. Verse 20. But when his heart was lifted up, and his mind hardened in pride. And if you hear last week, this is what we talked about. He was uh, deposed from his kingly throne, and they took his glory from him. And he was driven from the sons of men, and his heart was made like the beasts. And his dwelling was with the wild asses, the donkeys. They fed him with the grass like oxen, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven, till he knew that the most high God ruled in the kingdom of men, and that he appointed over it whomsoever he will. Daniel takes Belshazzar to school. You know, if there's one thing that we learn from history, it's that we don't learn from history. He says, you need to remember what happened to your grandfather. I mean, he wrote a letter to the whole nation describing his downfall and what he learned. Maybe you should pick that up and read it, Belshazzar. He gives him a history lesson. He says, you need to know about this. Now, from a biblical perspective, Romans chapter 15, verse number four says this, for whatsoever things were written aforetime, were written for our learning. God in his loving kindness and graciousness has given us passages like this in Daniel chapter five for our learning so that we don't make the same mistakes, so that we can let history shape our destiny and not ignore it. Ignored revelation always leads to captivity. And so these things were written aforetime, written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. Winston Churchill said, uh, those that fail to learn from history are doomed to repeat it. He says, you need to remember and look back. I, I believe it's important for us to look back in our lives. What has God been trying to teach me? Maybe it's with a relationship in your family. Maybe there was an abusive relationship and God wants you to uh, make sure that, uh, that you see that and that you uh, determine to not repeat it. Maybe there's something in the past in scripture that we need to look to and say, okay, this is a bad example that I should not emulate. What happened is Belshazzar just ignored it. Yeah, I know what happened. In fact, he did know what happened because notice verse number 22. And thou, this is Daniel speaking to the king, and thou his son, O Belshazzar, hast not humbled thine heart, though thou knewest all this. What a convicting statement. Belshazzar, you knew about this. You knew all this. And you didn't repent. You didn't humble your heart. You saw what happened to your grandfather. You knew all this. Here's one of our biggest struggles in life is that we don't put into practice what we already know. A lot of times we're looking for some new revelation. Give me something new. You know, tell me something I never heard before. Surprise me. Sometimes we're looking for some new revelation when God wants us just to be obedient to what we already know. Maybe God called you to church day, brought you to church day, not even to learn something new, but to do something new. To be doers of the word. See, Belshazzar knew all of this, but he did nothing with it. He ignored it. James says this, James 4, 7, Therefore to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. There's sins of commission, things we commit, things we do. There's sins of omission, things that we know that we should do, but we don't do them. We will be held accountable for both. And so Belshazzar, Daniel was almost heartbroken. You could sense, you knew all this. And yet, you ignored. You hit snooze button. Now, this leads us to our fourth and final thought. Do you have one more in you today? 
Number four is this. If we're going to thrive in Babylon, we're going to stay alert in Babylon. Number four, you need the truth to set you free. You need the truth to set you free. And so Daniel says to Belshazzar in verse number 23, he says, you have glorified yourself. You've lifted yourself up as though you were God. You have deified idols as though they were God. And so because of this, verse number 24, then was the part of the hand sent from him and this writing was written. So because you hit snooze over and over and over again, God sent this handwriting on the wall. And this is what it means, verse 25. And this is the writing that was written. Meanie, meanie, tikal, you farson. And if you're like, what in the world does that mean? They didn't know either when they heard it, okay? But Daniel's about to explain. It means three things. The first word is repeated twice for emphasis. Meanie, meanie. Uh, the word uh, means numbered. N notice it in verse number 26. This is the interpretation of the thing. Meanie, God hath numbered thy kingdom and finished it. In other words, your number is up. Time is up. You've been partying, living as though there is no tomorrow. Time is up. Party's over. Your days are numbered. And this, all of these messages from the handwriting of the wall, they all serve as sobering reminders for all of us. We do not know how much time we have left. James says, what is your life? It's even a vapor that appears for a little time that vanishes away. So often, we ignore the fact that our lives are short and that we're living for something bigger than ourselves. We must live with eternity in mind. That's why, that's why the Bible says in Psalm 90 verse number 12, so teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. God, remind us that life is short. Daniel looks at Belshazzar and that first word means time's up. In 2017, there was an actor named David Cassidy who passed away. His daughter, Katie posted this statement on Twitter after his death. Words cannot express the solace our families receive from all the love and support during this trying time. My father's last words were, so much wasted time. His last words, so much wasted time. She says, this will be a daily reminder for me to share my gratitude with those I love as to never waste another minute. Thank you. See, the truth is what we need to hear. The truth will set us free, but the uncomfortable truth is we don't know how much time we have left. And so our time is a gift from God that either we can steward for his glory or we can squander for ours. He says numbered, meaning time's up. Notice the second word, verse 27. Tekel, thou art weighed in the balances and art found wanting. So the second word is weighed. He says, you've been weighed in God's balance and you've been found too light. Now, this is a reminder for all of us because when, when our good deeds and when our uh, good actions are weighed against God's righteousness, it's always too light. We all fall short of the glory of God. Even our righteousness, the things that we do that we're really proud of, that we think, yeah, I'm really good at this and, and I've done this, and I'm a good person. The Bible says in Isaiah, the prophet said that, uh, that our righteousness is as dirty, filthy rags. And so on the scales of God's justice system, it's his righteousness we're always wanting. We fall short. It's only the blood of Jesus Christ that can tip the scales. 
It's only Jesus who can impute his perfect righteousness on our behalf. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God. Aren't you thankful today that he justified us and declared us holy so that when we were wanting and lacking, he tipped the scales. So he says to Belshazzar, numbered, your time's up. Wade, you've been found wanting to light. Notice the last one, verse 28, Perez. This is the single, uh, singular form of Eupharsin. It means this, thy kingdom is divided. Because of your sin, because you've hit the snooze button over and over, and because you've ignored God's warning, your kingdom will be divided and it will be destroyed. That was the handwriting on the wall. That was the uncomfortable truth for Belshazzar. But it's almost as if Belshazzar didn't quite get it. Because notice what he says in verse 29. Notice his response to the writing on the wall, verse 29. Then commanded Belshazzar, and they clothed Daniel with scarlet and put a chain of gold about his neck and made a proclamation concerning him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. Belshazzar's like, thanks so much, Daniel. I feel so much better after you telling what that uh, writing on the wall is. And you know, you're going to be the third ruler in the kingdom. But then notice the next verse, verse 30. In that night. We say that night was Belshazzar, the king of the Chaldeans, slain. That very night, his time was up. He lost his life. Even when he knew the handwriting on the wall, he didn't get it. He didn't see it. Kept on hitting snooze, kept on hitting snooze, kept on ignoring the warning from God. And that very night, he lost his life. History tells us that, uh, that the Medes and the Persians, they diverted the water source and they didn't uh, go over the walls of Babylon. They actually dug holes and they went under the walls of Babylon and they killed him that night. They took over the city. Party is over. And I believe with all my heart that when we look to God's word, we should be on alert asking, what is God trying to, what, what is God trying to get my attention with? Because maybe you're here today and God is trying to get your attention concerning salvation. Maybe you are here today and you've heard about the gospel. You've heard about Jesus Christ. You've heard about heaven and hell. You've heard about the Bible, but there's never been a time when you have personally placed your faith in Jesus. And maybe today God is trying to set off the alarm to let you know that life is short. We don't know what tomorrow holds. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. And if you've never prayed and received Jesus Christ as your Savior, I would implore you today uh, to consider Jesus Christ and to place your faith in him and him alone. The Bible says in Romans, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You need the truth to set you free. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. The only way that you can be saved, the only way that you can have a home in heaven is not by your good works. It's always gonna be found wanting. The only way that you can have a real relationship with the God that created you and go to heaven is by receiving the gift of Jesus Christ, God's son. It's by his grace that we can be saved. Maybe today you are saved. Maybe today you have given your life to Christ and you know that. I wonder, is there an area of your life that God's trying to wake you up in? He's trying to get your attention. Maybe when it comes to your marriage, maybe when it comes to raising children, maybe with a temptation at work, the alarm's been going off, but you've been hitting snooze. I wonder today, are we hearing or are we heeding? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes today.